Good morning. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, our good friend Al Bat. Hey, Al Bat, are you surviving the heat out there? Yeah, you know, remember back in January <laughs> when we were moaning about, oh, it's so cold and miss. I'll be so happy when it gets warm. We well, were moaning in April too. Remember that because it was so cold. Right. So yeah, it, that, it hasn't been that long ago. That'll teach us. You know, we right. just uh, it, every time we. Um, we moan a little bit about weather. We get uh, we get something we don't want, you know. But it's uh, it's uh, still a beautiful day because it's one we're given. And uh, I I listen to a western meadowlark sing, and I oh I listen long and hard because it's a, one of the voices of my generation. How do they sound? Can you imitate them? I cannot. Oh, okay. oh that I could. I'd be on uh, Who's on Late Night? Uh, Jimmy is Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy still on? Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, and oh, somebody else. Forgot. I I could be on all of them. Yeah, I could do a West Good Western Metal Arc. That would be my whole act. I'd just come out and do a Western Metal Arc and it, get a standing ovation as a, a bird, of course, would in those kind of shows, and then walk off stage and move on to the next one. Well, do you know oh, what I've yeah. I've been hearing outside the windows, and I don't think I can imitate it, but I'm pretty sure it's a bullfrog, and it's so loud. It's not the cheap, 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 cheap of the the peeper frogs. It's it's just yeah. a big reep. And I see, I don't even know how to do it. But are they out? And it was outside, and I assumed it was in the pond. But when I went outside, it didn't sound like it was in the pond. So maybe somewhere around there. Boy, it could be. They're uh, they're not native to right around here. I don't believe. Oh, but they do that. Jugarum, 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 and then Greek or something like that. Uh, yeah, that could be a, a different frog or even oh. a. a toad that could be doing that oh you know i have seen toads around maybe it's a toad and i didn't know what they're kind of they're kind of ugly looking and dark green and well, brownish. You know, sorry their mom <laughs> says they're beautiful and shows the photos of all her little toadlets to friends and they all say oh what a lovely little toadlet so yeah they're little um Oh, you know, that's ones when we were kids. Somebody always said, oh, don't touch the toad because you'll get warts. warts. right. And I used to take, pick them up and I'd take them in and put them in the garden because they eat slugs. Oh, do so they? I, oh, I'm oh, hoping they're, maybe I heard them in the uh, hosta garden. Maybe they're getting the slugs. I can only hope. Yeah, and that's why uh, toad houses are kind of popular uh, you go into garden centers and things can i make my can, own how can i if i if there is such just a thing take one of those uh, pots like the 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 terracotta pots like i've got all yep. like partly broken ones would they work they sure would all you have to do is just chip out a little door and flip it over on its top and there you have a uh, a, a toad house should i put so. anything in there to attract them no no You'd want to put it in a area probably where it wasn't, oh, where it wasn't brutally, the sun wasn't on it for eight hours a day, I guess. Well, this is the shade garden, and, I, and I'm hoping that's where they are because that's where all the hostas are that the slugs like to chew up. Yep, yep. But, you know, you could have a bullfrog because people do them, and they are native, as far as I know, only to the the far southeastern corner of the state, but they've been introduced all over. You know, people used to put them in ponds and things because it was cool hearing that sound. So we do see them elsewhere, so you certainly could have one. Are they also they are good for eating slugs or insects or something? 
I don't know how many slugs. I think a bullfrog will eat pretty much anything. They'll eat small mammals, oh. uh, small birds, Jeez. reptiles, fish, other frogs. So they're going to be more in an aquatic habitat. So I don't know how uh, how many slugs they would find there. But if they found one, they would sure eat it because I don't know what they wouldn't eat. And these are, you know, the ones that uh, oh, we hear about folks, particularly in the southern part of the U.S., going gigging, frog gigging. Is that what it's called? Yeah, and that's oh. when they hunt uh, bullfrogs because of those tasty legs. Oh, they can, they can have <laughs> frog legs. Um, I see a lot of those big. They're really big. Those leopard spotted frogs and now that we're out we have the cabin at the lake and there's some that get pretty big I, i'm really surprised are there different kinds of because i remember I, being younger seeing smaller ones yeah and i guess they just grow different size oh. of the same species leopard frogs and i often see them when it's raining real hard you'll see them out jumping across the road and they're, uh, they're <laughs> to their cool doom from. it's just a way they can move from one place to another it makes it a lot easier for them when we have wet roads yeah, leopard frogs, and they make a, oh, I, I can't do that, I can't do anything today, I can't do a leopard frog sound either, because, boy, if I could do that, you know, then I could do the Western metal art call, <laughs> and then I'd be able to show up on those shows later and doing a, a, a leopard frog one, so that would be, I'd be a hit then, but uh, that's not going to work either. But they are, uh, we do have their, uh, I believe they're, Full title is a northern leopard frog, and they have those green or brown uh, that with dark spots all over it. And you know they can be anywhere from two to three and a half inches. But when they when they're jumping and things, they have their legs splayed out, and they look much bigger. And as far as I'm aware, I hope I'm right on this, is that they are found in every county in the state and they are very familiar to middle and high school biology students because uh-huh. we used to dissect those frogs and they were leopard frogs so they're um, a pretty common one and um, it's just it's nice to see the frogs and the leopard frogs they make a it sounds like somebody's snoring and then at the end of the snoring, then they'll end with a chuckling. So it's like somebody's sleeping, and then they're snoring, and then they said something particularly wise in their dreams. Where that's let's face it, that's where most of us say our real wise stuff, clever things, is in our dream. So like, so it'll, <laughs> yeah, it does a, a chuck, chuck, oh, chuck, really? kind oh, of okay. like it's <laughs> chuckling. So if you hear this snore with a chuckling on the end of it, really? that's a, a leopard frog, and huh. they are. Very common, so you're going to find them, like I say, wherever you go in the state of Minnesota, you're going to find them. I walked uh, these walking trails at a fish hatchery near Bayfield, Wisconsin last week, and there were winter wrens that don't nest right where we are. They nest a ways north, but they were calling all the time. And winter wrens, like house wrens, are these tiny little birds with huge voices. I believe that a wren is 90% song. And most of the singing had been done by males in the hopes of attracting a hen wren. Uh, Winter's wren's song is more part... A neighbor has a, a crowing rooster over here. It's been just crowing now. This little winter's wren song is much more powerful than that of the crowing rooster. 
But as I walked, yellow warblers, common yellow throats, and oven birds were also singing constantly. And mnemonics of the songs of those birds, uh, mnemonics are given to us to help us remember calls. Uh, the yellow warbler sings, uh, sweet, 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 I'm so sweet. The common yellow throat sings, follow me, follow me. The oven bird sings, nature, nature, nature. And a common mnemonic for a backyard bird would, well, I, yeah, morning dove would sing, hula, hoop, hoop, hoop. But what would a mnemonic, somebody asked me that as I was leading a walk down there, they said, what would be one for the winter's wren, or winter wrens? I don't know. They have a rich, bubbling, cascading song. I'm sure there are some, but I find a song much too complicated and busy to welcome such a thing. I saw a couple of scarlet tanagers, lovely black-winged red birds. I was so taken with the handsome tanagers, I nearly stepped on a nesting Canada goose. Oops. And that wouldn't have been pretty. I, <laughs> I think the Canada goose would have won that battle. But uh, the yellow warblers, I just love yellow warblers. My father called them summer warblers. And as I did that walk out there, I saw 21 species of warblers. And one of them was a black burnian in a striking black and orange pattern is breathtaking. It was named after Anna Blackburn. I believe she was English, but she was a botanist, so she wasn't an ornithologist. But uh, I thought the Baltimore Orioles, they could have easily become the Baltimore Blackburnians. <laughs> I, I also walked a wooded wetland near Ashland, Wisconsin, and my eyes were treated to the loveliness of the marsh marigolds, but my nose detected... Uh, skunk cabbage, the, the putrid odor of skunk cabbage. I think skunk cabbage plants are beautiful, and they produce enough heat of their, on their own that they can melt through snow. They'll melt snow when they're coming up. Now, what they is it about them that causes them to create that heat? I mean, something must do that. They, they want to do it early, and they oh. have, um, they can create heat like like we do they create mm -hmm. their heat and they send up this thing that's covering the flower and because it's got this cover around the flower it will produce heat inside this little thing that covers the flower up wow. and they melt through snow so we see skunk cabbage we don't have it grown right here but we see skunk cabbage coming up where there's snow all over and you think well how can that plant do that well it's got its own little furnace going in there and, of course, it gets its name from this pungent, skunk-like smell it makes. To me, the stench is more like that of a rotting carcass in a skunk. Oh. But the smell attracts flies and other insects for pollination. And while I was looking at one of these plants, a honeybee was going in and out of it. So even honeybees will make use of this thing. Uh, the other night, I opened a door to the house, and a June bug, also called a May beetle, flew in. And it headed right for the lampshade thumped the lampshade and fell to the floor. <laughs> and the June bug, as they always do when they fall to the floor, it's on its back like a tipped-over turtle pawing the air with its legs. So I picked it up and released it outside. And because of that, I think I was um, granted the vision of a monarch butterfly the next morning. And it was I'm just so happy to see them. Um, the area of Mexican forests occupied by overwintering monarchs fell to 6.12 acres from 7.19 acres the prior winter. 
And I know it's hard to say, well, you say, well, it's going down, but what were they like? Well, monarch populations are measured by the number of treed acres occupied by the monarchs. And 20 years ago, 44 acres of trees held butterflies. This past winter, 6.12. Wow, that's that's really a decline. Oh, it's sad, too. And who do you blame? Well, you know, everybody, I guess. Bad weather, bad weather doesn't care, but... It plays a part. Illegal logging down in Mexico, uh, habitat destruction in general, and then herbicides killing milkweed are probably the main threats. Uh, Jenny sent me a description of a bird and said, what the heck is that? And I sent her a photo that I'd taken of a female American red start. It is like the butterfly of birds, little gray bird with big yellow spots as you look at it. Uh, Paul Lenny of Heartland had a trumpeter swan in his field, a pair of them. Harvey Benson of Harmony said, Bonita has a dumb cardinal which spends hours attacking his reflection in the windows. <laughs> this goes on for hours every day. I wonder when he will figure this out or will he break his neck first. I have a question. When a bird is picking up material for his or her nest, how do they keep the first material in their mouth from falling out as they pick up the next piece of material? Secondly, if they have a mouthful of good building material and they spot a fat worm for lunch, will they drop (laughs) the building material for a tasty lunch or will they hang on to the material in their mouth? That's a great question, one I don't think I've ever got before, Harvey. So, you know, birds are good at filling their beaks with material. It's it's what they do. I don't know how they do it, but they do, and they're able to do that. The second question, as far as dropping it when they see a worm, I guess that would depend upon how hungry a bird is. And I do hope your window-boxing cardinal takes a break and gives you all a break. Uh, Mike Dombrowski of Naritzen said, Hello, Al. Hope all is well. Just a quick note you may be interested in. In the last week, my dad, Bob, has had gray catbirds and a scarlet tanager feeding on his jelly and suet. He has maybe had a catbird once or twice through the years, but the tanager is the first. We are wondering if this late spring has something to do with it. Maybe uh, keep up the good work. Well, you too, Mike. Um I guess the late spring has something to do with everything because everything is uh, is nature-related. But uh, catbirds uh, do nest around here, as do scarlet tanagers, but the catbird will be coming to the grape jelly feeder pretty regularly. Scarlet tanagers, I usually see them here in the spring when they come through, and they'll stop in and feed on it. So. What, what else do the catbirds eat? Because I'm pretty sure I've seen and heard the catbirds out by the the lake cabin out by Lake Washington, and and uh, I don't put grape jelly out. They will. Uh, I'm sure you're hearing it because our catbirds here, we sleep with uh, the screens on. They love to fly our they start right before it gets light, uh-huh. and they start singing, <laughs> Early. and they sing, and they sing, and he aims his song, I swear, right through those that screen, Yes, and he just, he sings right in there, and I can hear him, and it's a, oh, it's like a scat, he just uh, <laughs> does a jazz riff out there, and it's a wonderful thing to hear, but maybe he could, uh, you know, eight in the morning. You could start singing that. But what they eat, oh boy, um, ants, grasshoppers, caterpillars, moths, midges, 
beetles. Oh. And uh, when fruits are available, then they'll eat cherries or elderberries. They, they'll eat poison ivy, um, any of the blackberries. They love raspberries. When I'm out picking the raspberries, they fly along and holler at me because it's their raspberries. But they would also eat cherries, grapes, and strawberries. Well, that's why when it, the raspberries come, I'm going to have to put the net back on because I noticed oh, last year man. there was, I'm pretty sure it must have been the cat birds or some, some bird was eating those. And they will scold you. I mean, they they call you yeah. cat bird names. See, I got one here every year. I'm. It's not the same one, but it's probably a offspring, and that just flies along and says, "You are an idiot, and get out of there. What is wrong with you? Those are cat bird things." So, uh, Tim Scott said uh, sent me a thing also uh, about the number of monarch butterflies overwintering in. Uh, forest in Mexico fell for the second straight year. And, and thanks for that, Tim. It's a sad thing. Uh, Brian Weller of Wasika said he saw the first Canada goose goslings on May 7th. I was wondering if it's a little later. Yeah, it's probably in general it's a little later, Brian. It's hard to really come up. And I, I told him I've got all kinds of records. I'm going to try to see if I can come up for an average date of when we could see the first goslings. I do have one where uh, egg laying was commenced on March 27th. That's the earliest I show when they started laying eggs. And it's around a 20-day incubation, give or take. Uh, Dwayne and Donna Swenson of Wasika also saw some goslings. Uh, Tim Poulos said, uh, last Tuesday, a week ago, I I picked my neighbor John Frentz up, take a ride in the country to see if we could see some shorebirds. We hit the cemetery in Minnesota Lake. We had a most pleasant surprise. At high noon, the lawnmower guys left for lunch, and we started to peruse the treetops. The warbler activity was off the charts. Yellow, red star, Canada, magnolia, Tennessee, chestnut-sided, Nashville, black burnian, and black pole were seen. I said to John that all I needed was a bay-breasted, and a minute later, there was one. Then I said uh, black-throated green would be nice, and there it was, not wanting to seem greedy to the birding gods and the fact that the lawnmower guys were back from lunch. We headed out to some shorebird activities, our shorebird areas. We had seven species, and the highlight was uh, two ruddy turnstones at extremely close range. What a magnificently gorgeous bird it is. Boy, are they ever. Uh, Chad Hines of Mankato. Said Andrew Krentz, Trent Robbins, and Aaron Peach joined me for their annual Big Day in the River Valley. And most folks probably know Big Day. You know, they made a movie out of it. There's a wonderful book. I, I really like the book. You know, it's very often if you read the book at first and then see the movie, you like the book better. It's just kind of the way things work. But you just go out one day and you just try to see as many birds as you possibly can. And Chad, they said in recent years they focused on a single county, but uh, after last year's big day of slogging in the rain for 12 hours, we decided to free up the boundaries a little bit this year. So they birded Lesseur, Nicollet, Blue Earth, and Faribault counties. They saw 153 species, and again, that's in one day, folks, 153 species. Uh, what did they see? Barred owl, eastern screech owl. Uh, Virginia rail, common nighthawk, American woodcock, uh, Lacan sparrow, Sora, marsh wren, scarlet tanager, yellow-headed blackbird, swamp sparrows, uh, terns. They saw black for black foresters and common terns. 
There were some common loons yet, uh, redneck grebes, black-crowned night herons, green heron, least bittern, chimney swifts, uh, Eurasian-collared dove, northern harrier, sandhill crane, bobolink, uh, alder and willow flycatcher, and that peregrine falcon, uh, cattle egrets. They had 18 warbler species mm. and 12 sparrow species. Also saw a Hudsonian godwit, which is just a coolest name. That should be a band name, the Hudsonian godwits. <laughs> uh, short-billed dowager, white rump, sandpiper, dunlin, semi-palmated and pectoral sandpipers, a duck, a northern shoveler was around, American golden plover. Uh, I think they just had one look at Franklin's gulls. Uh, Lincoln's and white-throated sparrows were still hanging around. Uh, of the warblers, they also had the Blackburnian, but they had a Connecticut, which is really a great bird to see. Uh, Cerulean, another one that's just uh, wonderful to see. Uh, Blue-wing warbler, uh, Magnolia, that's one of my favorites. Uh, they had a yellow-bellied flycatcher for the thrushes. They had Swainsons and wood thrushes, as well as a Veery, a blue-gray gnatcatcher, and a pine siskin. So, and then, of course, great egret, and they had a greater white-fronted goose and a willet. And Chad said another day he went to the Red Jacket Valley Park, and the highlight was a yellow-billed cuckoo calling from the woodland across the river. Also had a scarlet tanager, orchard oriole, lark sparrow, warbling vireo, northern ruffed-winged and cliff swallows, turkey vulture, and field sparrows there. And he also did a drive through Casota Prairie on a lunch break, and the dick thistles have arrived. They're typically the last bird that we get here as far as migratory. And uh, they're like uh, junior meadowlarks is what they look like to me. Uh, he said in Casota he also had a grasshopper sparrow, field sparrow, and eastern kingbirds. So thank you, Chad. That is a, a wonderful report. Uh, somebody asked, uh, I got two wonderful questions that I want to hit here, maybe three. Why do young birds leave the nest before they can fly? Yeah, we all see the robin out on the lawn. A little guy, he can hop around, but he really can't fly. Or if he can fly, he can just fly a short distance. And, you, and we want to put him back in the nest and say, you know, don't come out. Well, if we put him back in the nest, what does he do right away? He jumps out right away, so... It's to the advantage of some young birds to get out of the nest as soon as possible, which uh, I just uh, was reading a newspaper account. A young fellow, his parents, he's 30 years, over 30 years old, and his parents sued him to get him to move out of the house. <laughs> so he's going he's gonna, to you know, protest that and appeal that decision. But um, birds don't have to do that because the young are ready to jump out way too early. Why they do that? It might be to their advantage, at least to some birds. Because you want to get out of that nest as soon as possible. Number one, a nest full of loud baby birds attracts predators. Mm. So as soon as you're able to get out of there, maybe you get, even though you're down on the ground, you probably maybe have a better chance. And also, nests can have parasites. So those would be the two reasons you'd want to jump early. Well, you know, I've seen baby robins on the ground before, and, and they're so little they really can't do anything, and you know they're going to die because, I mean, yeah. truly they can't feed themselves at some, some points. And then other times you see them when they can kind of sort of fly but not really, and they have a chance, I believe. But, I mean, what should you do? Because everybody, 
wants to know if they should do the right thing, but aren't sure what that is. Yeah, you know, the best is just to let them be, I guess. If they're in danger of a cat or a dog or something is right there, well, then certainly put them up in a tree. Because the the mama birds or daddy birds can't pick them up like a cat can and bring them back. No, but they'll keep feeding them. The problem is, again, if we put them in that tree, what's a little bird do right away? He jumps out again. He's right back down there in the ground where whatever is threatening to get him is. And our parents always used to say, if you touch the bird, the mom won't have anything to do with it. Kind of like kittens. And I don't know if that's true or if that's just the parents saying, don't mess with them. No, go ahead. And if you want to get them out of the way, or or if you're mowing the lawn, and here's a little guy right in the middle, and he's not going to move, you know, move him off to the side or put him somewhere so he's kind of out of direct harm's way anyway for a little while. But again, you know, knowing them before you, Come back out, you break for lunch and go to mow the lawn. There you'll be right in that same spot again. So, Hey, I got a uh, question so, about rabbits sure. building. I've got rabbits, and my husband has seen this. A mama is building a nest right next to my pond. I've got a, a big fescue grass that's been there for a few years, and she's digging, 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 digging. So you can tell she's probably building a nest. And my husband said, well, maybe we should just let her have the baby bunnies, and then somehow those baby bunnies will just disappear because, you know, they can become problems. <laughs> or should I try to stop her from digging to prevent her from having them there so what is my best bet because honestly they are terror on the garden they are and and something will get most of the babies um i had a guy but not before they eat most of my plants is the problem (laughs) yeah i i can't remember his if he was a mammologist or what but we were talking about eastern cottontail rabbits the ones we have here and how they'll have Typically four litters a year, Ooh. but some, sometimes five in certain parts of the state. And they will, you know, if they have so many babies, but he said maybe one out of a hundred will live till its third, into its third year. Not even make it through the whole third year, but into its third year. So they have the mortality rate is uh, astounding. But I know, again, I, this guy told me, he said, if if all the babies lived, a pair of rabbits could produce, <laughs> and I'm hoping I'm going to be right on this number, I want to say it was 350,000, wow. 300 to 350,000 rabbits in five years. Well, in the meantime, should I try and stop this bunny from continuing to dig there? Should I fill up the hole? Will, will that do any good? You sure can, but she'll find another place. <laughs> uh, yeah, they And they put them in... Um, not always the best places, no. and they will, uh, you know, they only show up maybe once a day to uh, feed the babies or toys. Oh. So you don't, you don't really see them very often because you, you know, with most animals, we'll see them out there and say, well, they must have babies here. Well, rabbits will only show up maybe once a day to feed their babies, so you're not going to see them very much. So. I just don't want them feeding on everything to feed them. Then I don't blame you a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, it's a hard thing, and I know uh, I get calls every year about people saying we just don't have any rabbits, and I said, no, no, don't worry, you will have them. Come to my house. Yeah, that's, it's funny because you get a call one day, and somebody will say, I'm not seeing any of this kind of bird, and somebody later the same day will call and say, I've never seen so many kinds of this bird, and it's kind of the same with rabbits. Somebody yeah. will call and say, I, there's so many rabbits, and the next person will say, I don't have any rabbits, so it's... We just, uh, there's 
there's no happy medium in anything. Except at the cafe, Karen, where I hope everybody will come today. It's where the food chain is missing a few links. A special is always a Heimlich maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers of less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. I stopped to get a cup of English breakfast tea. Hot. Oh, I love that stuff. At a, at a nice coffee shop in Washburn, Wisconsin, where I was working, there was a sign uh, where customers ordered that read, I'll have a cafe mocha vodka valium latte to go, please. It was a cheat sheet for those who were stumped as to what to order, I suspect. I saw a barbecued grill in a yard in Kansas City not long before that that was big enough to roast an entire Angus. It was likely a kale-free home, I would think. The owner of the grill, who probably had emotional ties to it and could pick a fight in a salad bar, would be able to go to Costco and buy a bison for barbecuing. I expect he'll construct a one-grill garage to house the unit. To own a grill of such prodigious size required a certain amount of optimism, that you're going to be able to put food on that thing all the time. I am an optimistic fellow. Long ago, I found myself in a bowling alley for the first time in many years. As soon as I picked up a ball, I knew I had a great career ahead of me. That's because I was standing behind pro bowling superstar Dick Weber. And he was my opponent in this charitable event, and I thought I'd mop up the alley with him. That's how <laughs> optimistic I was. That Then I remembered that I didn't really know how to bowl. I bowled a 141 game and couldn't be prouder, and I was crushed by Mr. Weber, who I think got that score in the first frame. <laughs> he was the most congenial of winters. Everybody be optimistic today, and you will have the greatest day ever. Remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. I enjoyed your company, Karen. I look forward to uh, Tuesdays with Karen. All right. Hey, thanks, Al. We appreciate you, too, and you have a great rest of your day. Stay cool. I'm going to try it. You, too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.